We need to do something. I want you to look to, to my right, to your left. There on the cross, see all those red cards? Those are people. Five, six, seven, five names on those cards. People that need to be saved. People that need to be delivered. People that need to, to be healed. There are hundreds and hundreds of needs right there. We nailed them to the cross because we realized that Christ is the only one who can change their lives. Christ is the only one who can make them what they ought to be. So I want you to join with me in your heart. If you don't mind, just point your head toward that cross, your hand toward that cross if you'd like. Father, in the name of Jesus, those aren't just names on those red cards. Those are people that you love, people that Jesus died for. People who need to be saved. People who need to be delivered. Rescued. People who need to be healed. People who need to be restored. People that you love. And oh God, we want you to know that we believe when we pray for them that you hear. And we believe, oh God, that you're at work in their lives right now. Already we see evidence of answers coming in these very areas. Lord, I am so excited as I see you at work in people whose names are right there on that cross. So, Lord, we say, Jesus, by your Spirit, go to them and touch them and do what you need to do in their lives. And all of God's people said, a question. What is my responsibility as your pastor? What has God called me to do? You know, you could probably ask a person, what is the responsibility of, of the pastor of a local church? And you get a lot of different answers. Well, why don't we let God answer that? What is my responsibility? I want you to listen to what it is. Over in Ephesians 5, he said about the church, he gave some to be apostles, sent ones, I'm not that. Some to be prophets, not that. Some to be evangelists, that's not who I am. Some to be pastors and teachers. That's my calling. Why? What is the responsibility of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers? Are you listening? To equip the saints. To equip you for the work of the ministry. So that you will grow up to maturity in Jesus Christ. Folks, listen. My responsibility is clear. By the Word of God and the Spirit of God, I am... To speak the word of God in the power of the spirit to equip you for the work of the ministry. And so that you might grow up and be full grown and be a mature believer in Jesus Christ. I mean, my calling is absolutely clear. And so that's what I'm committed to. Well, this morning, I'm going to share with you some truths that if you embrace them and you got to make a choice, you have to make a choice. If you embrace these truths and you say, that's where I want to be, that is my choice, that's where I want God to take me, you're going to be moving in the right direction to maturity in Christ. And I trust that you will. I'm really speaking to you this morning about a solid foundation for your life. You know, if we're building on the wrong foundation, it's not going to work, y'all. So we have to have a solid foundation for our life. And the Word of God talks clearly and plainly 
about a solid foundation for life. Turn in your Bible to the seventh chapter of the book of Matthew. Now, Jesus talks about, by the way, he talks about a solid foundation. Now, the way we are equipped to grow into the maturity in Christ is not only to hear the Word of God, but to know the Word of God and obey the Word of God. Spiritual maturity comes as we hear, know, and obey the Word of God. And so Jesus addressed the fact that how you and I could have a solid foundation for our life that would stand the storms that are going to come. Personal storms, every kind of storm. So I'm reading the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 7. Now notice what Jesus said. He made it clear in the 7th chapter and the 24th verse. You say, Brother Fred, I want my life to be on a solid foundation. That when any storm comes, regardless of what it is, I will stand. I long to have a secure, solid foundation for my life. Well, Jesus is going to tell you how. You say, man, I don't want to have a foundation that's going to crumble when the pressure comes and the storm comes. Well, listen to what Jesus said. In verse 24 of Matthew 7, Therefore, Jesus said, he just spoke the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest body of truth ever spoken at one time. He just had spoken this to, on, from that hillside. The sermon. He said, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, not just hears them, but does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house upon a rock. And the floods descended. Hey, there's a storm. The floods descended. And the winds blew. And the rain came. The rain descended. The floods came. And the wind blew and beat on that house. And it did not fall. It stood the storm. It had a solid foundation because it was founded on a rock. But then Jesus said, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does not do them, they just hear. It's like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew. Storm from every direction, from above, from the side, and from beneath. And, 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 and says, and beat upon the house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Jesus said, listen. A solid foundation for your life is to hear the Word of God, to know the Word of God, and to obey the Word of God. He said that is the only foundation that will stand the storms that will come into your life. To hear His Word, to know it, and to obey it. Well, you know, when Jesus talked about... Uh, the storms, you know, uh, he was not just talking about natural storms. You know, I, I was thinking about the storms that are blowing around us right now. There have always been what we call, quote, natural disasters. Always been tornadoes, always been floods, always been drought. It, it, there always has been. But I'm going to tell you something. The, the closeness of all the storms. Right now, we just had this tremendous outbreak, the greatest in our history of tornadoes. 
Right now, the Mississippi River is higher than it's ever been in the last 70 years and flooding and, and affecting millions of lives. And then just 200 miles from the Mississippi, where they got too much water, they're having such a great drought in the Midwest that they're having to sell their herds and, and, and everything's perishing. I mean, this is the time in America. I'm talking about America. Well, I could talk about Japan and the tsunami they just had that wiped out about a third of that country. But I'm just talking about America. These are the time of great natural storms. You can read into that anything you want to read in it, but they are a reality. And I'm telling you, it is greatly affecting our nation. But I'll tell you another storm that is, to me, is as serious as this, is the, 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 the upheaval in the Middle East. An absolute revolution in Egypt and in Syria and in Libya and in Yemen. And on and on I could go. Who knows what type of leader is going to take the place there in those countries and what instability there will be. Never have the nations raged, by the way, in the Middle East where everything is coming to a conclusion one day. Never have they raged like they are in the Middle East right now. In my lifetime, never such unheaval, upheaval in so many countries. And so the nations are raging. They're the natural disasters. They're the raging of the nations. And then President Obama took uh, the side of the Palestinians when he said just this week that Israel ought to give back the land that they took in the Six-Day War. I'm glad that Netanyahu or whatever his name was looked him in the eye and said, we ain't giving it back. Praise God. And they're not supposed to give it back because it was given to Abraham by God as a covenant-making and covenant-keeping God. Well, but this, this is just a, a picture of the natural storms among nature and, and among the nations. But wait a minute. I, I mean, all of us are battling personal storms. I mean, we just have them. Whatever it might be, I'm just telling you, I'm not even going to go into it. You know what your storm is. And you know where it's hitting you from above or from beside or beneath. It doesn't matter. You know that you're being hit from every side. Okay, but now wait a minute. Jesus said you could have such a foundation. That nothing could cause your house to fall. You can have such a foundation that when the storm came, you wouldn't fall, that you would stand. Now today I'm going to do this. I'm going to give you two truths that Jesus gave. I could give you many. But I want to say to you, with all the conviction of my heart, and I believe on the authority of the Word of God, that if these two truths, if you embrace them, if you operate in them, and if they become a vital part of your life, you're going to have a foundation that would stand no matter what you ever go through. But now I want to say something to you. These truths of Jesus are, are, are serious. <laughs> to some of you, it may be startling. To others, you say, well, I know that. But I'll tell you one thing. To embrace these truths and to live in them, you're going to have to make a choice. And you're going to have to make it day by day and week by week. Here are two truths I want to share with you this morning that Jesus laid out very clearly. And these are the two truths. Jesus said that if we were going to follow him, now stay with me, that if we were going to follow him and know him and experience his life in its fullness, that there was going to have to be, first of all, supreme love that we're going to have to love him supremely but secondly that there was going to have to be supreme sacrifice and what i'm going to do is just show you how clear jesus made this in the word that the 
bottom line is, he says, you are to love me supremely above all else and all others. And secondly, he said, you're to make the supreme sacrifice, which is to give up your life so that you you can experience my life and I can live through you. In fact, he said, listen, I want you to count the cost. I want you to count the cost of what it is to be my disciple. I want you to count the cost of what it is to be my follower. And I guarantee you the bedrock of this foundation that stood the storms of the floods and the winds and the rain, this is the bedrock, supreme love and supreme sacrifice. Now I want you to turn your Bible with me uh, to Luke chapter 9. I want to show you something. Jesus is telling us, count the cost. Count the cost of being my disciple. Count the cost of being a follower of mine. And I want to tell you something. In the American culture, no, no, we don't, people don't want to hear about the cost. They want to say, well, God loves you. Do anything you want to do and just live any way you want to live and God will be good to you. He'll take care of you. Let me tell you something. Jesus Christ made it absolutely clear it costs something to follow the Son of God. And he didn't even stutter when he said it. And the cost of discipleship that he gave, whew, I guarantee you it'll revolutionize your life. But it'll also make you strong for any storm. All right, first of all, he said, I want you to count the cost of supreme love. I want you to count the cost of supreme sacrifice. And then he just gives a story. Look at Luke chapter uh, 9, verse 57. I call it the encounter along the road. It's interesting. Jesus was just going down the road. And begin reading now, or if you don't have your Bible, just listen carefully to what it says. Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to Jesus, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. He was an eager volunteer. Man, Jesus was just going down the road. Evidently, this guy had heard about Jesus and the miracles he had performed and the things he had done. And so he comes and said, Lord, I'll tell you, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. Listen to what Jesus said. He told him to count the cost. Listen. Jesus said, foxes have holes. The birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now, you going to follow me? He said, I don't even have a house. I don't even have a bed. You've got to understand that to follow me, it's not going to be a bed of roses. You're not going to be sleeping in the Hilton every night and eating, eating steak. I'm telling you, you're just not going to do it. He said, let me tell you something. You say you want to follow me, count the cost. Foxes have holes. The bird of air have, air have nests. I don't have any place to live. He said, you need to know what it's going to cost you to follow me. Well, then as they traveled down the road, Jesus spoke to a guy. The first guy volunteered. And if you look in verse 59 of Luke chapter nine, then he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. You sound, that sounds like a simple request, brother Fred. Listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury the dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. Now, now, you know, when this guy said, Lord, Jesus said to him, follow me. He said, I will, but my dad's old, and I'm going to take care of him until he dies. And when he dies, and I bury him, then I'm going to come and follow you. Jesus said, no. 
You've got to count the cost. Someone else can take care of your father. Someone else can bury him. He said, but you need to come. You need to go and preach the kingdom of God right now. See, all he did, he was just walking down the road. And this crowd was all around him. And he, they just said, he said, now you've got to count the cost. You've got to count the cost. You've got to count the cost to be my disciple, what it is to follow me now. And then there was another volunteer. Look at, look at verse 61. And another said to him, Lord, I will follow you. Man, he said, I'm going to go with you, Jesus. But let me first go and tell them goodbye who are out my house. Now, basically what he's saying, I'm going to follow you, but not now. I'm going to go home, spend some time with my family for a while. Didn't say how long, but obviously he wasn't just going to go wave as he went by. Jesus said, "Um, no. He said, you've got to count the cost. He said, you said you're going to follow me. Then he said, no one having put his hand to the plow. And looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. He said, when you say you're going to follow me, there's no looking back, there's no turning back, and there's no quitting. Now, folks, listen. People want a costless Christianity. That's exactly what they want. They want a costly. All they want is the free ticket to heaven. But I'm going to tell you something. That's not what Jesus Christ is all about. Jesus called us to be his disciples. He called us to follow him. And he said as clearly as he could, now you count the cost of what it is to be my disciple. Now turn over in your Bible to the 14th chapter of the book of Luke. And once again, there was not only the encounter on the road where he told them to count the cost, but you get over in Luke 4.18 and there's a crowd of people. In fact, there's a multitude of people. And you know what Jesus says to them? I'm glad we got a crowd today. He said, but I want you to do this. He said, I want you to count the cost. That was the clear message that Jesus gave to the crowd of people that were around him. And I want you to listen to it. it is a, I'm telling you, it is a very, very disturbing message. In the sense that it takes us out of our comfort zone. See, you've got no costless Christianity. No such thing. It costs to follow Jesus. It costs to be his disciple without any question. So in Luke chapter 14, verse 25, notice what Jesus said. The crowd, evidently was a big crowd. Evidently they were all enamored with Jesus. And so in Luke 14, notice what he, he, he just says, now I, I want you to count the cost. It is so clear. Verse 25, you got it in your Bible or just listen carefully. In Luke 14, 25, and great multitudes went with him. Most preachers would have been enamored by this. Boy, is this awesome. I got a great crowd of people. Man, we, we, we're going to be the fastest growing church in, in, in Jerusalem, you know, and all this kind of stuff. Man, we got a great crowd of people, and, 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 and we would be enamored by the crowds. Jesus said, hey, it's not how many. He said, it's what kind. That's exactly what he said. And he said to the multitudes, Now, great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me, now get this, you've got to listen to this, will absolutely confuse you. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, and yes, his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, had I been in that crowd, 
And Jesus had, the blind had seen, the lame had walked, the demons had been cast out. I mean, here is the Messiah. And man, you're following Jesus. He said, let me just tell you something. If you're going to follow me, you've got to hate your father and mother, your brother and your sister, your son, your daughter. You've got to even hate your own life. Or you can't be my disciple. Now, Jesus was using comparatives here. What he was saying to this, Jesus would never tell anybody to hate anybody. In fact, the Word of God says, if you don't love your brother whom you have seen, how in the world can you uh, love, a brother, love God whom you've not seen? The whole message of the Bible is that we're to love God and to love people. And if you hate somebody, it's like having murder in your heart. But this is what Jesus was doing. He was saying, your love for me, your love for me, the supreme love for me as a son of God should be so great that in comparison, you would hate your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, your son, your daughter, even your own life. He said, your love is to be so much greater for me than any member of your family or your own life that in comparison, it would seem almost like you hate them. You know, that's called supreme love. He said, listen, you've got to love me more than your mother and more than your father and more than your brother. And more than your sister. And more than your own life. He said, I'm just telling you. You want to be my disciple? You want to follow me? Then you've got to love me supremely. That is exactly what he said. He made no mistake about it. I'm going to show you. He says that over here in another passage. And then look on in that 14th chapter. And guess what he does? He tells them to count the cost. Man, he was so wise. He had got their attention. Do you love me more than anybody else or anything else? Do you really love me that much? Do you really? Now, if you're going to follow, he said, now, I want you to count the cost. Listen to verse 28. Which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough money to finish it, lest when he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish All who see him begin to mock him. This man began to build and was not able to finish. Jesus said, you're not going to be so foolish that if you're going to build a tower, you don't first sit down, calculate the cost. You're sure you've got enough money to finish it. And when you know you have, then you'll finish. Because if you don't, if you don't count the cost, you're not going to be able to finish it. And people are going to say, well, look, he started and he couldn't finish and he mocked you. On the other side of Gulf Shores, Right before, not the first bridge going over toward Florida. You're already in Florida. Before you get to that next bridge going over to Florida. For the last 25 years, there have been about eight or ten concrete columns that have just been standing there. And every time I would pass them, I'd say, you know, they didn't count the cost. They started, but they didn't have enough to finish. They didn't count. And I said, how foolish. And and, and to my knowledge, they may still be there. I'm not sure that anybody's ever built on that property. Jesus said, listen, you've got to count the cost. Because if you're going to be my disciple, it's costly. There's no such thing as costless Christianity. And he goes on and gives another example of how we have to count the cost. He said in verse 31, by building a house, be sure you've got enough money. If not, it's going to be foolish. Then he said, talking about going to war. He said, if you're going to go to battle, you better be sure you've got enough troops to win. He says, what king going to make war against another king does not sit down and first consider whether he is able with 10,000 
to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. He said, if you've got 10,000 and they got 20,000, man, you better weigh, and, and, am I going to be able to deal with this? And how in the world am I going to have victory? I've got to count the cost and see what my strategy, and can I do it? Or else, while he still looks great way off, the guy with the 20,000, you send a delegation and ask, well, let's make peace. He said, well, you know you're outnumbered. Don't go in there. See if you can make peace with him because you're outnumbered two to one. But then he says, now you, you, you're going, verse 33, you're talking about something that, that, you know, you're talking about costless Christianity and no such thing. Would you just listen to this verse? So likewise, whoever does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Supreme love. You ought to love me so much that in comparison, it would seem like you hated your father, your mother, brother, your sister, son, or daughter. And he said, no, you, you know, you've got to count the cost. Uh, he said, and let me tell you something. You've got to forsake all or you can't be my disciple. Now, friend, I, I'm going to tell you. Now, I'm just reading the words of Jesus. Now, you remember what Jesus said? Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them is a wise man who built his house on a rock. But whoever hears these sayings of mine and does not do them is like a foolish man who built his house on them. I know exactly what you're saying is exactly my response. Lord, you don't understand. That is too costly. That is too costly, Lord. I mean, you don't understand. You're asking me to love you supremely. I mean, supremely above everyone else and everything else. Lord, that is costly. And you're asking me to be willing to deny myself and to die so that Christ can live through me. You're willing for me to forsake my life so I can find life in you. God, I am just telling you, do you understand what you're asking me to do? It is too costly. But that's exactly what he did. And he did it over and over again. It just wasn't a little passing thing with Jesus. So he said, you've got to count the cost. You've got to count the cost. And I want to talk to you about the cost. First of all, it is supreme love. You've got to love Jesus supremely. Now, I'm going to give you some verses. You don't need to turn. But now, if, if this is the word of God and it is, then you've got to deal with it. Okay? In Matthew chapter 10, verse 37, I'm talking about supreme love now. The cost of discipleship. A solid foundation for life. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 37. Now listen to the words of Jesus. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Now, I'm just reading the words of Jesus. He said, if you love your father and mother, your son or daughter more than me, you're not worthy of me. You need to love me supremely. You need to love me supremely. Absolutely. Above all else. And above all others. Well, he does it again in Luke chapter 14. Listen to verse 26. That's the verse where he says, If any man comes after me and doesn't hate his father, mother, son, or daughter, yea, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. So once again, he's calling for supreme love. But then you get over to Matthew 22 and listen at this. You see, the cost is supreme love. We love God supremely above all others. We love Jesus supremely above all others, even our own life. So you get to Matthew 22, and a lawyer said to Jesus, What is the great commandment? 
What is the great commandment? You know what Jesus said? Love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And then love your neighbor as yourself. He said, you know the supreme? Love God. Let me tell you something. The call to follow Jesus, the call to be his disciple, is a call to supreme love. We love the Father. We love Jesus more than anyone or anything. Now, this is going to help you so you won't be confused. I want you to listen to me. Salvation in Christ is a free gift. It is a free gift. Oh, it is. For by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is a gift from God. I don't have to tell you that salvation is the gift from God to you and me through his son, Jesus Christ. You cannot earn that salvation. You cannot merit that salvation. Not by works of righteousness or any other way. God loved you while you were still a sinner. God sent his son to die for you while you were alienated from him. And Jesus Christ took your sins in his body on the cross. He died in your place. God raised him from the dead. And whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Salvation is a free gift from God. And I am telling you, it's just this. Recognizing that God gave his son for you and died in your place and that he took your sins you say God be merciful to me a sinner and by faith you trust Jesus and his shed blood on the cross for the forgiveness of your sin you don't earn it you don't merit it you don't deserve it is the mercy of God and the grace of God and salvation is a free gift from almighty God and God forgives your sin and he gives you the righteousness of Jesus and hallelujah for what a great salvation in Jesus Christ it's a gift from God Salvation is free. But following Jesus costs you everything you have. Somebody said justification is free. Sanctification costs you everything. You know why I know that? Oh, I didn't know that when I got saved. You didn't know that either. I just knew that I was lost and I needed to be saved. And I didn't get saved with my fingers crossed. Save me, Jesus, but I'm not going to give up liquor. Save me, Jesus, but I'm going to keep living my own life. Save me, Jesus, but I'm going to keep doing what I always did. No, you don't get saved like that. You just cry out for God's mercy and God saves you. And you take all of Jesus is into all of you and you give him all that you are. And once you're saved, you realize, hey, this thing of being saved, this thing of following Jesus, wow, it is a costly situation it cost me my life Jesus calls for me now that I'm saved to love him supremely to love him above all others do you know one of the saddest words in the Bible that first church the church at Ephesus which basically was a church, I believe, in the book of Acts. Man, they were on fire. And Jesus, when he looked at the church at Ephesus in the book of Revelation through John, he praised them and he encouraged them. But then before he got through, but this is what he said. And oh, may this not be true of us. May it not be true of you individually. May it not be true of us as a church. Jesus said to the church at Ephesus, which was a wonderful church, where God was at work. I'm telling you, he said, but I've got something against you. What is it, Lord? You have left your first love. You don't love Jesus like you used to love him. 
Obviously, he's not the supreme love of your life. Now, folks, listen to me. I am reading to you the words of the Son of God. He said, you've got to love me more than father or mother, brother, sister, son or daughter, even more than your own life. He said, you have got to love me supremely. But that's not hard. It's not hard to love God. It's not hard to love Jesus. Let me tell you why. We love him because he first loved us. Amazing love, how can it be that you, my king, would die for me? You know why you, it's easy to love God? You know why you can love God supreme? Because he loved you. While you were still a sinner, God loved you. When you were going your own way, God loved you. When you said no to God, he still loved you. When you wandered away from God, he still loved you. And wherever you are this morning, I'm going to tell you something. God loves you. And I'm telling you the reason we can love Jesus supremely more than anyone or anything. Because we love him because he first loved us. But there's one other thing. It's not only supreme love, but it's a supreme sacrifice. And you know what Jesus says for you to do? He calls for you to die to yourself, to give up your life and to find life in him. Let me give you some verses. Look at Matthew chapter 10 if you want to turn, verses 38 and 39. Boy, it's all over the Bible. In Matthew 10, 38 and 39, he calls now for supreme sacrifice. Count the cost. Count the cost, Jesus said. Matthew 10, verses 38 and 39. He who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Did you hear what he said? You know what you do on a cross? You die. Oh, my cross is my wife. I have to bear. She's my burden. No, she's not. You may be hers, but she ain't yours. You know what you did on the cross? The only thing they did on the cross was die. When you saw a man leaving the city of Jerusalem and there was a cross on his back, you know what he was doing? He was going outside to Jerusalem and he was going to die and he was never going to come back. All you did on a cross was die. The cross was not a burden. It was a place of death. And Jesus said, Matthew 10, he who does not take his cross, you got to die and comes after me. He's not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. If you try to hold on to your life, oh, I'm glad I'm saved, but I'm going to live for myself. I'm glad I'm saved, but I'm going to do my own thing. I'm glad I'm saved, but I'm going to go my own way. Well, I hope you're saved, but I'm going to tell you something. You ain't never going to know Jesus in his fullness and his power. And when the storm comes, you're not going to be ready because Jesus gave you no right to live for yourself. He said, and he who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. If you seek to... Find your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, if you will give up your life so that my life can be in you, you're going to find it. It's called supreme sacrifice. Boy, it's all over the Bible. I mean, he just keeps going over it and over it and over it. And um, remember what he said in Luke 14, 27? Let me go back. Boy, he, he made it so clear where he said him to count the cross. You see, it's supreme sacrifice. You just got to die to yourself. That's just it. I promise you, you just got to die to yourself. What you want, you just got to die to yourself so the life of Christ can live in you. In, in chapter 14, verse 27, listen to Jesus. Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. 
But you don't understand, Jesus, I'm a Baptist. Not enough. (laughs) I go to church occasionally. Not enough. But I I even give a little money. Not enough. Listen to me. Jesus don't take second place, folks. He will not take second place. You think he will, but he won't. He said, you've got to love me supremely, more than father, mother, brother, sister, son, even your own life. And he said, I'm going to tell you something. He said in verse 27, if you do not bear your cross and come after me, you cannot be my disciple. Then he said in verse 33, he who does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Let me tell you what he means. He means you just come to him in absolute surrender, no strings attached. Lord, it's not my life to do what it is. I want to. You bought me on the cross. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. Okay. So, Lord, you purchased me on the cross. I'm a bond servant. I'm a bond slave of Jesus Christ. It is not my life to live as I please. I will not seek to save my life. I will let go of my life. I will take my place in death so that I can embrace your life and so that, Jesus, you can live your life in me. And I'm going to tell you something you find out. Man, letting go of your life with all of its selfishness and self-centeredness and everything revolves around you, just letting it go and die and then embracing Jesus Christ and allowing him to be your life where there's love and mercy and forgiveness and let me tell you something there's no comparison between your life and the life of the son of god no comparison it's called abundant life is what it's called it's abundant life that's exactly what it is he said you got to die you know the, the amazing i don't know the word for it is this life comes out of death usually we would say that Life doesn't come out of death. No. Yeah, it does. When you die to yourself, you take your place on the cross with Jesus in death, and you die to yourself, that's when you begin to live. It is the life of Christ in you. I'm crucified with Christ. Christ lives in me. The verse Brother Ed used, for me to live is Christ. Folks, life comes out of death. Only when we give up our life do we find his life. And that's the supreme sacrifice that we die to ourselves so that Christ can live his life through us. It's called the supreme sacrifice. Self-denial. Boy, I love Luke chapter 9. I'm just reading these words of Jesus so you'll know. Well, Brother Fred, you, you make it sound very costly. I didn't. Jesus did. Luke 9, 23, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. What part of that do I not understand? If you're going to come after me, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. If you desire to save your life, you will lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. I know what you're thinking. Sounds good, Brother Fred. I don't think I'm ready for that. I don't know that I'm at a place where I can love Jesus more than father, mother, brother, sister, even more than my own life. I hate to shudder to think of it, but I don't know if I love Jesus more than that sin. I really don't want to let go of it. I, I, you know, you, you say it's just too costly. I, I just don't know if I can love him supremely. You can't, but you can make a choice. And God will give you. And I'll be frank with you, Pastor. I'm, I'm not sure I'm ready to die to myself. I have my own plans. I have my own goals. I have my own life. I'm going to determine my own direction. I'm just not sure. Well, I understand. But you're not ever going to live until you die. When you die to yourself, that's when you'll live. When Christ lives his life in you. You say, but it's too costly. But I'll tell you one thing. Now listen to this. Nail this down. Don't you ever forget it. If you love Jesus supremely... 
And if you have made that supreme sacrifice of dying to yourself and let Jesus be your Lord, I don't care what storm ever comes into your life. I don't care what storm ever comes into your life. If you love Jesus Christ supremely, and if you have died to yourself and allowed him to be your life, praise God. God, you've built your life, your life on a solid foundation of the supreme love of Jesus Christ and self-denial that Christ may live in you. You'll stand any storm that ever comes into your life. You say, but pastor, it's too costly. You know, you hear a lot of things about a lot of people, but some of them will live for eternity. Don't you, you won't forget this because I've never forgot it. You won't forget it. There was a man named Nate Saint. He was called by God to be a missionary to the Alka Indians, a tribe in, I'm afraid it was Africa, India. So Nate Saint loved Jesus Christ supremely, obviously. <laughs> he denied himself and gave up his life and became a missionary to these Indians, I mean, they'd never been around a white man. They, they, they thought that they were demons or whatever. And, but they kept trying to make contact. So they'd leave a gift, and the Indians would take it and come back. And they just kept doing, doing everything they could to try to get in the door. And they were making progress, but one day, Nate Saint, and I don't know who was with him, were traveling down a stream to try once again to get an open door to these Indians. And those Indians who did not know and had fear of a white man cast a spear through the heart of Nate Saint. And he fell into the river, filled it with his blood, and died. But the true story is this. When they came and got his body, you know what was in the pocket of his shirt? I'm telling you, I'll never forget this. I think in the hand of God, God had it put it there. You know what was in his pocket? I'm talking about the cost. He said, he is no fool to give what he cannot keep, to gain what he cannot lose. You're no fool to give what you cannot keep, to gain in him what you cannot lose. My, I don't want to be a fool. Try to hold on to what I cannot keep and miss what I cannot lose. There are storms everywhere, but if you love Jesus supremely and you've made that choice to die to yourself, to let him be your life, doesn't matter what storm comes into your life, you will go through it. I mean you will stand. You will. Praise his holy name.